Good evening. Good evening, people of Planetary Sector 13. Good evening, Stroblon. Good evening, Grungus Freak. It's almost 6.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time here in Utah. Yes. Here in Utah on January the 5th, 2022, Bo Blimptock. In the Grinkin time, when the grizzly beasts are beginning to munge out the scumbly, as the ferret whore finds the hawk pimp, as the hookers gather up cocaine in Utah. have a guest coming on in a few minutes, a friend of mine, a friend from way on back. We traveled to Africa to hunt the hornet hippo. We went to Africa to find the lost tribe, to find Solomon's mines filled with cocaine gold. Yep, I'll be doing a little conversation with my friend Seattle Mike. And he's called Seattle Mike because he lives in Philly. Strange, strange times, brothers and sisters, and I hope to have a really cool conversation with my friend here in a minute, but we still have a minute together, a minute or two. We can contemplate the strum dough. We can smell the sauce. We can focus on the smoke and the mirrors and the grumbly grease. We can find for ourselves a home in the alleyway. A home next to where the rat dogs live. We can celebrate by the old discarded tampons. We can feed on large canisters of glue. We can say hello to a dark, dark tomorrow. Or we can smile at a not-so-bad yesterday. have choices. So here we are with my friend Mike, and hey Mike, how's it going? I'm doing better than I deserve, Dan. 
it's my new mantra. That's a good, better than I deserve. That's a good mantra. You, you said you're with your dog. What kind of dog is it? It's a, a Staffordshire Terrier mix. What most people would know as a pit bull. I don't know what her other um, breed is. We got her when she was 10 months old from some people that needed to rehome her for some uh, pretty legitimate reasons. Uh, she doesn't have any issues really. She's a sweetie. And uh, she's uh, 16 months old now, and uh, a bundle of energy and happiness. So it's been been a good good thing for us. Good thing good for um, my wife and I. Done a lot of stuff with her, and she's been a, a source of joy for both of us this year. So I want to keep things kind of flexible because I kind of prefer just to have that conversation versus being too obsessed with an outline. But you sent me a link um, related to space travel, and it specifically had to do with how the title of the article from the Sunday Telegraph is Voyage to Mars May Cause Life to Whatever, Go Faster or something? I don't know. Yeah, basically it's saying that, well, you're going to be exposed to radiation and that uh, makes your cells go into this... uh, area where they die faster essentially accelerating the the aging process and so uh yeah maybe we'll never get to mars but isn't that weird because it seems like every other day there's an article saying that elon musk is heading to mars in two weeks yeah like it seems like he's almost heading to the moon where have we you know i know that Captain Kirk went up 54 miles, at least that's what they tell us, and that's really, right. really great. But 54 miles, for, with respect to the moon, is not 250,000 miles. You know what I mean? There's a whole bunch right. of other miles you got to go to get to the moon. Now, if you believe the cosmology they've told us, Heinlein is right. The most difficult miles are the first hundred, but still, dude, it's ridiculous. I mean, we have been... We are exposed to these cycles of you can and you can't. It's weird. It is. It is uh, exceedingly weird. I mean, I watched this video, uh, a, a guy I work with, and he and I were discussing this topic. And he uh, has done uh, a lot of photo- professional photography and videography in, in his life. And he was able to pretty neatly explain to me um, some of the issues with the shadows and some of the pictures that some of the uh, people who questioned the moon landing and the evidence. And I'm, I'm fairly content with his answers, but I asked him about what happens to somebody outside of the Van Allen belt. And he said, well, it's just a second that you go through that. It's very thin. I said, Right, but on the other side of it, how did they shield the astronauts from all the radiation? He was like, oh, I never thought about that. I said, well, there may be an answer for it, but why won't they give it to us? Because I don't think tinfoil does it. (laughs) No, and I don't think the Van Allen belts are that thin. Like, I think even at 20,000 miles per hour, which is roughly the lunar... um, the lunar insertion velocity or whatever you want to call it, the trip to the moon velocity, even at 20 or 22,000 miles per hour, I think it takes 20 to 30 minutes to go through the Van Allen belts. 
Wow. I think. Yeah. I, they're not that thin, I don't think, dude. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, that part, I don't really know much about. I know. Well, here's what I, I do know. It, but I don't remember. There's a NASA engineer on a video from the early 2000s who basically said that we have to learn how to go through the Van Allen belts. And it's like, well, didn't you already do that a dozen times? There and back. Well, Dan, they use secret Nazi tech that self-destructed uh, upon storage. Yeah. <laughs> Disappearing ink. <laughs> it's absurd. I don't know what to think of the space thing. It's absurd, though. It's absurd that people get so excited about, you know, Amazon's Blue Horizon. I think it's great that rich people can pay 250000 bucks to go up 50 miles, but... I, I don't know that that's a huge achievement. I mean, I don't know what to say about it. I, I feel like that's what was done in 1961, nine years before I was born, and I'm not a young person. So it's it's weird to me that people are so excited about what looked to be, you know, the third prize or the fourth prize. Well, another thing I was thinking about today because this is like the 50th anniversary of when they announced the space shuttle or something. <laughs> Which is weird if you think about it, right? Yeah, it is weird. So Nixon was president when they conceived of the space shuttle. And it was sold as a, a, a less expensive, reusable, you know, re recycle the, the launch vehicle or the, the payload vehicle, I guess, is what it what it really was. And uh, this is going to be great. It's going to save us money. It's going to help us do technical things in space, which it, it did do that. I mean, they it did help them, you know, recover satellites and repair things and you know whatnot, what whatever. Okay, so it was useful for for hard missions. But by 2010, the average cost over the life of the program for each launch was $1.5 billion <laughs> yeah. per, per launch, right? It was just a jobs program. That's really what it was. I mean, there's literally something in every state and probably maybe even something like 30 or 40% of the congressional districts that was related to the production of the space shuttle. So they really knew what they were doing bureaucratically make sure that this is a jobs program that can never go away, sort of like the F-35. But none of that makes any sense if you think about it because we can still launch a, 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 a light, lighter rocket with small satellites on it for about $60 million today. Mike, very little, that, money, yeah, very little that government does makes any sense. Right. I mean, if of any, course. if any of it. And to me, the space <laughs> thing is a great example of how government stifles enterprise it's also an example of how government manipulates people i don't know what i believe about what nasa has told us i really don't i i'm sorry to tell people that because i know people get really excited about the moon and about space but i should have been born in missouri because i just want them to show me i i know i've been told a lot of stuff i just don't have good evidence i mean yeah, maybe we definitely live on some oblate, oblate, oblate spheroid like Neil deGrasse Tyson says or whatever. But beyond that, who the heck knows where we are and what's going on? 
And I'm supposed to trust these folks that have a deep association to Satanism and the Nazi party. So I'm supposed right. to, I'm supposed to trust them, right, Mike, because yeah. of that history. And can I say something before we continue? We have social justice warriors in America today who go around tearing down institutions because of some ancient tangential connection to some type of crooked nonsense. And yet you have founders of NASA, Parsons, the Satanist, you know, all these folks that were paperclip Nazis, von Braun. You have the founders of this institution who ran prison camps. Are we supposed yeah. to not criticize that? Yeah, they were just doing their... Wait, wait a minute. Yeah. Wait, wasn't there something wrong with just doing your job? Not it. It, it really is. The funny <laughs> thing about social justice warriors and the left wing especially in this country, but this applies to the right wing as well. The funny thing about them and the interesting thing about them is how schizoid they are and selectively schizoid they are when it comes to outrage. Like they ought yeah. to be outraged by NASA today and back then. But it's almost like crickets when NASA comes up. Oh, oh, they didn't know. They couldn't have known. How could they have known? I met a man yesterday, and I won't say too much about him, who worked in the Navy with nuclear weapons. And he's currently, you know, unless something happens, dying of cancer. And what I do know is that kind of thing didn't just happen in one decade. That kind of history has existed for a huge part of this country's history and certainly the 20th century. So, yeah, it's weird, isn't it, how they couldn't have known and no one could have known better. But yet, people keep voting, Mike, for idiots. By definition, that's what they're saying. They vote for incompetents who could have never known. Yeah. I think NASA's a joke. That's my personal opinion. I think it's a total fucking joke. What it's covering up, I have no idea. I, it could just be a big bureaucratic jobs program joke, like you said. And it could have another purpose. I have no idea. The thing about living in this country is you don't really have a right to know things that are important. Yeah. That's, that, is, uh, that seems to be the case, and it could be all of the above plus unknown. Yeah. It could be. I don't know. NASA. So what's up in Seattle yeah. these days, dude? Well, I was over in the shithole. Um, I'm sorry to say, uh, to use that word, uh, Christmas Eve. And I had to drive through the miscellaneous uh, uh, homeless encampments that I guess evidently always attend to a booming metropolis um, that is... Uh, the tech city of the future and run by amazing, uh, people. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's lots of places along the freeway there where there's, uh, people who've, uh, camped in their tents and then they leave all their garbage, um, uh, when, when they, you know, soil, use the exterior of their encampment as a restroom, I'm sure. Um, and, have enough rotting food around and and human feces to attract enough rats, they probably move on and then they don't want to clean up the garbage because, well, there's a 
there's a jobs program for that called the City Conservation Corps, and they can come clean it up for them. Well, can I pause you and, right there, though, quick, Mike? Is that okay? Yeah. A city is a toilet. They have been toilets for thousands of years, for the most part. The thing, I agree with you, what's happening with that is bad, but a lot of city dwellers flush their shit down the toilet so the orcas get to deal with it and the salmon get to deal with it. So I think all the garbage is pretty bad. At least the homeless people, it's obvious. You know? Yeah. I mean, look, you can turn human human urine and human shit into, in a, in a natural state, into uh, fertilizer pretty easily. But the government doesn't um, do that, bro. You, you, you understand that the government is in charge of that poop. So, yeah, you and I could agree on rational ways to deal with disposal, but that's not what happens in cities. Well, they, they do have a waste treatment plan. I'm, I'm not sure how well they're run. I know that I had to, I was the, uh, I had to do the, I was in charge of the environmental output of a facility in, in Michigan, and um, I had to go and take a bunch of classes at the local waste treatment facility. And most people took their job pretty seriously. Um, and, you know, there were spot checks and scheduled checks of our, you know, of the effluent yeah. in the settling tanks outside our building. And we couldn't have, uh, you know, obviously we, we needed to have it at a pH that wouldn't eat the concrete and steel of the various pipes going down to the sewage plant. And of course we need, we couldn't have suspended heavy metals in the water. Um, that still doesn't so, help with the people using miracle Grow on their lawns. Um, oh yeah. I mean, that's terrible. Well, but that's the thing yeah, though, dude. Petro- petrochemicals. And then of course all of the, all of the, uh, petro derived weird, uh, medicines that we take that all, you know, gets oxidized. And yeah, then, the the Prozac uh, is in the trout. Shit out. That's right. Yeah, the Prozac course, yeah. is yeah is in the fish. That's right. I'm not trying yep. to beat you up on this. I think there's a legit issue with homelessness. I just consider them to be more of a symptom than a cause. Of course, I, I, and that was kind of my point. Is and again, the homeless serve many uh, purposes. They enrage the taxpayers and keep both sides of the. A spectrum at odds with each other um, because your right wingers say, you know, the homeless need to be moved along, you know, bring the Gestapo out and, and uh, you know, move them along. And the, the the lefties say we need to, you know, spend a billion dollars a year on quote unquote programs that serve zero people um, except for the, the, the agencies and the private contractors and the uh, six, you know, multiple six figure administrators of said programs that are always cronies of the mayor and the city council. Uh, but it also serves as a way to beat up all of the poor taxpayers and tell them that they're not paying enough tax taxes. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a real great thing. And, you know, we tend to forget that those are real people and the vast majority of them are victims of trauma, which is a byproduct of our current, uh, shitty society. Well, it kind of is. I mean, I feel like, in my view, homeless people are an externality. Like, environmental people talk about externalities, and I think of homelessness as an externality. I don't want to objectify them, but, you know, if you tell me I've got this garage in Ballard, which is a neighborhood in Seattle, 
and it's got a cracked foundation and I put in a porta potty and I turned it into a little bungalow with tiki lights and now I'm going to sell it for half a million bucks. And then that same motherfucker will say, well, I don't know why there are homeless people. You, you follow my reasoning on this, Mike. People cannot afford to live in the situation they find themselves in. They can't afford to do the jobs they can find and survive. We've treated housing in a way that if we treated food and water the same way, I think we would have an even more outrageous problem. But again, the banks aren't so crazy to treat food and water the way they've treated shelter. Right. Right. Although I do see every once in a while uh, advertisements, weird advertisements on YouTube and other places for um, financing your groceries over the next four weeks. That's insane. That's insane. <laughs> and, and that's why I know we're at the end. I don't know when the final period is going to be put on the paper, but dude, this is not the beginning. This is what we can say to steal from our good friend Churchill. The one thing I can say is this is not the beginning. This is not the beginning, dude. We are closer to the end of this crooked paradigm than the beginning. Way closer. Yeah. Okay, so you sent me some stuff. It would, it would oh, appear so, Dan. Well, it would. It would appear so, but it if there's some sort of a rabbit to be pulled out of the hat, they got to pull it out soon, although I generally don't believe in magic unless it's supernatural. If they have idiots at the CIA, which they could have, idiots working there who don't know what they're doing, then it's possible that they made a mistake and they literally picked the wrong kind of psyop. But if they really intended some type of weird reset soft landing, I said this two years ago, I said it a year ago, I'll say it again. They would have done pyramids on Mars for the same reason we started out talking about space. Yeah. Okay? Because people want to believe that nonsense. It makes them feel better in a society that has mostly pushed God away, all that they have left are the secular gods. And some of those secular gods have to do with space. Yeah. So if they, if they yeah, really... It's, it's uh, te techno-utopian garbage. Yeah, but um, the thing is, they didn't go that route. They went the route of, you've got the Grungus. And that right. is, to me, that indicates that there is no positive ending for what they're doing. I don't know what their end is. But I can't see a positive ending after the, the monkey herky, herpes corona grungus, you know. I don't see yeah. it. I, I keep trying to find people who explain to me, even the people who fear the FEMA camps and the reset, to explain to me how do they get there. And then I ask them to explain to me how were we not already there in 2020 for them to pull off the shit they pulled off. They had the power, dude. If they could have kept doing the, the crooked shit they've been doing, and for us Christians, we know it's been going on for thousands of years, if they could keep doing the same crooked shit, why would they stop? And that's, that's the question I can't answer, Mike, and it haunts me. Why would they stop? Yeah. Can you answer that? Why would they stop if they didn't have to? I don't know, man. They wouldn't. They had all the power they could reasonably get. There was no reasonable amount of power they could have scraped from the bottom of this barrel. So why did they pull the plug? Well, uh, 
it's weird, man. You got extra power? You're hiding in your basement? I don't. You know a lot of people with <laughs> hidden treasures of gold and diamonds? I don't know anybody that has more than what they need to get by. So if this was about stealing, there's nothing there. It's like it's like Al Capone's vault, dude. To me, yeah. that's what this feels like, Al Capone's vault. You, you, you watch yeah. it for a couple hours, and you, you say to yourself, oh, this is a live TV event, and why would Geraldo Rivera lie to me? I'm only a teenager. And you wait a couple hours, and it's nothing. This is Al Capone's vault, dude. That's what it seems to me to be. It does. And the only question is, is it an empty vault, which would be currency collapse, or is there some monster in there, some dirty dog with rabies? I, I got to tell you, dude, I just don't see it ending in a, I don't see a happy, shiny ending to this. I just don't. I don't either. <clears throat> Maybe ultimately there, there might be uh, some, some kind of uh, beautiful phoenix that uh, rises from the ashes eventually, but I, it's certainly not going to be centrally planned or on purpose. Well, what we're going off—I mean, we're going, yeah, yeah, we're going off subject a bit. But can we narrow in on that whole phoenix paradigm? Because to me, that mythology flies in the face of Bastiat's um, empiricism. Like Bastiat says, you don't get wealthy by blowing shit up, breaking windows. You don't get wealthy by destruction. But yet the Phoenix paradigm is based on, and the mythology is based on this idea that you can rise from the destruction. Don't you think that there's a kind of weirdness to that whole Phoenix thing? Well, I was thinking of it, I was maybe misapplying it and thinking of it in terms of when something it's necessarily discarded because it's not useful anymore. And sometimes, uh, you know, it, like in a free market, for example, you know, sometimes companies fail, sometimes people fail. Sometimes yeah, but, but those things fail. That's, and, then, yeah. and then, you know, they, there might be a lot of personal or individual destruction that goes along with that. And True. then maybe, maybe they learn something, some really great lesson, and then uh, apply it in a way that, it lays the groundwork for their success later. Yeah, and I listen, dude. If you t if we had a conversation and we said to ourselves, "Creative destruction is that a thing in a free market?" and the answer is yes. In fact, it's a good thing, just like it's good for the biological material in the forest to break down. Right. But the phoenix thing is kind of like you have something that dies and it rises from its own ashes. Not other people's ashes, but from its own. I don't know, dude. I may be too focused on this, but it's always seemed like a... I, everyone loves the Phoenix mythology because it makes you feel better about failure and catastrophe. On the other hand, you know, we got to be careful about feeling too good about catastrophe. It's like that quote from Nancy Pelosi in 2010 where she said the earthquake in Haiti was good for them. I mean, I don't think right. anybody wanted that earthquake in Haiti. I don't think it was a good thing. Yeah, they can, they can, like the phoenix, rise again. Let me put it this way. If the phoenix mythology started out with some dude that went around shooting people so they could rise from their ashes, that wouldn't be a very good story. Right, right. You know? 
And if earthquakes are good, then we would make them happen all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I'm thinking about the the, the tsunami. There was one in 2004 or 5, and the one in 11, I'm thinking, yep, boy, they're helpful. Yeah, everybody would want to be having earthquakes all the time. Be like, yay, we get an earthquake today. All right, we get to rebuild our house. Yay, all right. So, and of course, that would be that that leads other to other things. The other side of that coin is if earthquakes are good, then sunlight is bad, right? So, you you uh, you want <laughs> you want the, the the destructive free things that that come your way, but you wouldn't want the beneficial free things that come your way. Yeah, I, I got. Yeah, I don't know. So you sent me a bunch of links, and most of them had to do with two core issues. One yeah. is the evolving nature of how we understand the pandemic, which I believe is bullshit. And, and, and the other is how this is connected to public relations, propaganda, and psychological warfare. And so you sent me a link about what the Russians are doing in the Ukraine. And I don't know if you wouldn't mind going into some detail about that if you remember the article um, yeah, um, but can we take a really quick break? I gotta put my dog away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. All right, hang on, just one. So you sent me the article. It was from theantiwar.com. And for those who are listening, if you have access to the notes, these links are in the notes. But you sent me this article about the Russians doing psychological warfare in the Ukraine. Um, right. And I looked. So, at, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I. I looked it over, but I didn't go into great depth in the article, and I thought that maybe you could talk more about it. Well, this guy is claiming, the author here is Gilbert Doctorow. Um, I don't know, apologies if that's not how to, might be Doctorow, I, I don't know how to pronounce that name. Um, basically what I got out of it was that Putin put the troops exactly where he did to form a credible threat that the idiots in the West would believe, even though really where he is is more of a defensive posture, right? Like you and Jim, I think we're talking about. You're talking about the deployment of the, I think it's roughly a whole, what we would call a core or or maybe a, a small army, but basically about a couple hundred thousand troops, more yeah. or less, um, more or less between the border of Ukraine and Moscow. Right. Um, and so what, what, what ended up happening was that people hyperventilated, the, the CIA hyperventilated, Pentagon hyperventilated, the, you know, and of course then you've got the whole, uh, with the warmongers and all of the industrial military complex that fund all of the media, and so then they went crazy and hyperventilated. And then that forced Biden's hand to come out and say, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're not prepared, actually, to defend um, uh, Ukraine and, you know, to put boots on the ground. Um, but that it was a red line if they invaded, yada, yada, yada. And then he had this phrase, he said, military technical. This was a, a phrase that um, Putin used, basically saying, um, that if if the Americans don't agree to withdraw some of these um, weapons that they've supplied to 
Ukraine and other places that are easily transformable into offensive weapons, that he would use military technical means of retaliation. Um, and this guy took that to mean that they will install nuclear-capable missiles in Belarus and in Kaliningrad uh, that can easily threaten NATO capitals in Europe. So um, that that's kind of his additional psyop, his, his telegraphing of his intentions to uh, to back that up with, with more. Yeah. But really, it's more of a psychological thing because everybody knows that the Russians have nukes and there's nukes there in Europe that are, you know, supposedly operated by the United States. And supposedly there are nukes there. I don't know how many are. I haven't really kept track of that, but I'm sure they're still there. Some. Well, one thing I remember from the 1980s, um, prior to the end of the Cold War, is one of the significant, and I think it's worth talking about, one of the significant diplomatic achievements, and I think it happened in 86 or 87, was an agreement to remove these short-range, intermediate-range ballistic missiles from Europe that the Russians, the Soviets at the time, would agree to remove them from the Eastern Bloc, and we would agree as well. And the reason is really kind of simple. The fear was is these were tripwire weapons. They had a very short flight time. And the problem with nuclear war is every time a nuclear weapon is used, the likelihood that someone will escalate actually increases. It's not... Nuclear war really is a difficult thing to conceive conceive of as under control. There was lots of discussion during the Cold War about limited nuclear war, but the reality is people who've thought it through realize nuclear weapons destroy the very institutions you would use to actually shut a war down. And and that's part of the problem. So by removing these intermediate-range ballistic missiles from Europe, the theory was you reduce the likelihood of catastrophic nuclear exchange. And, And that's what's supposed to be the case since the 1980s, is that we would not have those weapons deployed and, you know, the Soviet Union and then now Russia would not do the same. But I got to say, and I think maybe, Mike, you would agree, I don't see the world the way I did when I was a teenager. So when I was a teenager, I might have believed it. I don't know what I believe about the deployment of U.S. weapons. I do know that we have a lot of weapons that are easy to move around that behave like intermediate-range missiles, like cruise missiles. And we have a lot of cruise missiles that are deployed on submarines, and we have a lot of cruise missiles that are available at Air Force bases. So I just don't know what to say. I, I, I think that the author, if he's calling what Putin is doing a PSYOP, I don't know if I kind of agree with that. I don't know if I agree with that definition. I'd call it bluffing. But, you know, bluffing is a psychological technique. When I think of a PSYOP, I think of a coordinated attack upon the thought processes of some group. Um, which again, this was this is a bluff can be thought of that way, but it's not really a huge, large scale attack on 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 the way people think. You know, it's more of just tricking people. Yeah, he was using psychology, mass psychology, really, to achieve an end that that really should have probably been done a long time ago, in my opinion. I mean, Putin's part of the global elite. But he seems to be, at least from everything that is revealed to us, to be not on board with uh, whatever the current program is that's going down. It's hard to say. I don't really know, Mike. I mean, 
I'm almost at the point where I think that, as I've told you, we get our own version of the news. And right. I think all these other countries get their own version. And I don't know that any of the realities remotely match up. I just don't know. <laughs> Um, so you sent me some stuff related to the pandemic and specifically related to the Spanish flu. Yeah. yeah. And basically that the Spanish flu itself was never really confirmed scientifically. Well, so what happened was there was a, an experiment done um, that was published in 1919 called Experiments to Determine Mode of Spread of Influenza. And what happened is, and I'll just read some bullet points here from the article. So they isolated microbial mixtures from the throat and noses of carefully selected influenza cases from an outbreak location. Then they administered those uh, mixtures to 10 young U.S. Navy volunteers without prior exposure to influenza, and none fell sick. Then they drew blood from the influenza patients and transferred it to the Navy volunteers. Nobody fell sick. They collected influenza patients' mucous membranes with swabs and filtered them to exclude, exclude larger, larger microbes like bacteria. Then they injected the filtrate into the Navy volunteers, not fell sick. They brought the Navy volunteers to meet influenza patients. They shook hands and conversed. The patients exhaled as hard as possible onto the volunteers' faces for five times. Then the patients coughed directly onto the volunteers, not fell sick. Um... And so, actually, if you go do some research on this subject, you can find more and more of these sorts of examples of how, in, in a controlled setting, they, they cannot confirm exactly how uh, communicable diseases are spread. So it's it's per, per, pretty interesting. And, of course, it's not something that we're taught in school. Um, we're taught to be afraid of the invisible enemy, Eat the four food groups, eat your vegetable oil, but also it raises inflammation and destroys cellular mitochondria and makes you additionally fat. I, well, I would say that, yeah, the health advice that we get from our government is mostly terrible. Yeah. I mean, it is. You know, glyphosate, I've seen no evidence that glyphosate is either A, a nutrient the body needs or be good for you, but it isn't. A, well, yeah, um, but it's in the food. It's in all the food. It's in the it's in yeah. the vegetables you buy. It's you say, yeah. well, I'm going to cook fresh, and it's like, but you can't. In our Norman Borlaug sideways system of salting the earth, you can't really. You can you can go get whatever crooked vegetable you can find, but unless you do your own work, you can't be sure what you're eating. That's where right. I'm at with that too, dude. I'm sorry. It's like, yeah. I don't know. As far yeah, as you can do some things, you can limit your intake of sugar. Um, you can limit your intake of, you know, industrialized foods. You can. There are, there are things you can do to, to help your body at least be a little, uh, you know, more responsive at the cellular level. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we're, we're, we swim in a fishbowl, essentially. And, you know, how close are you to the source, I guess, is, is <laughs> the source of the pollution is uh, something you can control, but you can't ultimately control or get rid of all of it. it. just can't be done. Yeah. I mean, as far as the Spanish flu issue goes, I was told 
one version of the story when I was in college and in graduate school. And the version was the Spanish flu hit roughly at the end of World War I, and it killed, according back, back then, the claim was, you know, 100 million people worldwide, between 100 and 200 million. That was the number they quoted back in the day. It was a huge number worldwide. And then during the, the recent COVID monkey herpes, they took that number and they lowered it. Did you know that? They lowered the, the, the number of people they said were killed during the Spanish flu. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, why would you do that? You do that because you're cooking the books. Right. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that a cook the books kind of maneuver? It is. Absolutely. And so they need they need the COVID to look like a pandemic. And, you know, okay, you've got a really tall guy and you can you can't really grow a short person, but maybe you can chop off the legs of the tall person, right? And then yeah. I'll, oh, well, they're both NBA basketball players now. <laughs> I, that's what I see with the COVID and vis-a-vis -vis the Spanish flu. The other thing, too, is I have heard, and again, people should do their own research, but I would heard that there are a lot of spooky things that happened prior to the Spanish flu breakout that look a lot like experiments in germ warfare. And so I don't really know what the truth is there either, dude. I, I just, I'm sorry for not really being able to say, I can hold on to this and this is true. I'm at the point now where there's less than 10 things I think I could say are true about the world. You know, one has to do with God, but other than that, I don't have any basis to know if any of the story is true. Any of it. Yeah. yeah my question is, am I supposed to trust the library? where there are books printed, and if I open up the book, I see printed by the Rand Corporation, printed by the Brookings Institution, from the Foreign Affairs or Trilateral Commission. Am I supposed to believe those books? And again, people made decisions in publishing those books, and they made decisions in editing those books. Am I supposed to believe that garbage? That's where I'm at, dude. I just don't any longer. I think that a lot of libraries are probably filled with garbage at this point. And, oh, yeah. Or, or I should say this. Libraries are really archives of fiction now, maybe. <laughs> or you, you have to go in with a healthy dose of skepticism and cross-reference everything you read. Really. Well, then, you know, I call that Sovietology. Yeah. Exactly. you, you got to be a Sovietologist. I agree, man. That's about all we're left with. You had a quote from Bernays... <laughs> Um, and I just want to yeah, move along. It's kind of long. It's kind of long. And listen, I think that there's, you know, Bernays is another one of these sketchy figures that comes out of World War One. And, you know, yeah. he, he himself had this idea that there should be a shadowy class of people that should control the minds of the populace. Isn't that a fair thing to say about Bernays? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he, whether it was him himself or whether he was part of, you know, some sort of messaging campaign that he was just the face of, I, I don't know. But if you read that little book, Propaganda, and some of his later writings, um, oh, I can't think of them off the top of my head. But you can, your listeners can look them up. Uh, do you want me to read this quote? Um, you can if you want to. 
Okay, so he this is 1928. He's looking back on what was accomplished during World War One to coerce uh, the United States citizenry to get into um, the war, to enter the war. And then, of course, uh, he was influential or essential, according to him. Um, and I've never read any counterfactual statements uh, on that of crafting the terms of peace that Woodrow Wilson brought to the European nations in such a way to make them all agree. And also in such a way to make sure that the United States agenda and the bankers involved would all get paid off for their loans to people on both sides. Um, He says, quote, it was of course the astounding success of propaganda during the war that opened the eyes of the intelligent few in all departments of life to the possibilities of regimenting the public mind. The American government and numerous patriotic agencies developed a technique which, to most persons accustomed to bidding for public acceptance, was new. They not only appealed to the individual by means of every approach, visual, graphic, and auditory, to support the national endeavor, but they also secured the cooperation of key men in every group, persons whose mere word carried authority to hundreds of or thousands or hundreds of thousands of followers. They thus automatically gain the support of fraternal, religious, commercial, patriotic, social, local groups uh, who took their opinions from their custom leaders and spokesmen from the periodical publications, etc. At the same time, the manipulators of patriotic opinion made use of the mental cliches and the emotional habits of the public to produce mass reactions against the alleged atrocities the terror and the tyranny of the enemy, it was only natural after the war ended that intelligent persons should ask themselves whether it was possible to apply a similar technique to the problems of peace. And it's the problems of peace issue that is particularly revealing and just uh, completely evil, um, which uh, I think is, is obvious on the face of it, but he just sort of breezes breezes by it and then I thought you know they've been trying to scare us and I wonder if the Spanish flu <laughs> was a was a test of this um, they've been trying to scare us with microbes for a long time yeah and um, it is a as I've mentioned before probably on your podcast it is an invisible enemy uh, uh, akin to you know the wonders of the invisible world that we were fighting against back, you know, somebody was fighting against back in the, uh, the days of Salem and the witch, the witch hunts. And it seems like they've somehow hit on the right mixture of something or other that has solved it. I guess. I mean, COVID really is the kind of the culmination of all of this. And that really kind of dovetails into what you and I have been talking about all along, which is what is even real. How would you know? Think about the first... Or, yeah. What are people getting sick from? <clears throat> yeah. Think about March, April, and May of 2020, and all the celebrities of note that got sick, and there was drama. I think right. even Tom Hanks, supposedly. Uh, Tom Hanks, the everyman, yep. Yeah. And then who's that rocker who had that really almost perfect video ready to go in April of 2020 or something? You know, you got to do what you got to do. It looks like they're following exactly the Bernays playbook. Right. Um, right from the beginning. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing. Um, 
And of course, the other thing that, that you should take from this little statement here is that if some, if, okay, I think there's, there's maybe three things. The first thing is if you see a spokesman or a famous person or a message being pushed that tickles your bias um, and you agree with and makes you, yeah, that's right, go get them. Um, that, that person is, is pushing a message that's, that's being fed to them. Uh, and that's why I didn't trust Donald Trump from the very beginning because, you know, his message was so contrary to <laughs> him, uh, you know, his whole life, and it was so easily, it fit like a key into this sort of weird right-winger, um, you know, own the libs, kind of quasi, I don't even know what to call it, you know, American fascism, basically, right? American right-wing um, religion of the state type thing. And then the other thing is, of course, if you hear a message that's being pushed, a narrative that's being pushed that angers you, that's also tapping in right to your amygdala and hijacking you. And, and so you got to be distrustful of it. And then I would just say overall, whatever, whatever message the government's pushing, whatever, whatever statement they're saying, which is never of course, subject to any sort of logical scrutiny, it's never entered into sort of any evidence and cross-examined in any way. Uh, it's just entered into the record and accepted as true. If the government's pushing the narrative, I would just assume it's false until you can prove otherwise. Yeah. and That's and, a really good place to start. And even if they're telling you the quote-unquote truth, there's a purpose to it. It's going to be a hundred the – re, the reason for it is going to be as close to the opposite as possible. <laughs> well, I can say – I would say this. A lot of the elite revelations of the last 10 years – have had very little functional resolution and have mostly right. produced open psychic wounds that don't heal. So it, it, when they do supposedly let us know some of the truth, the outcome is more just to keep us immobilized. And yeah, angry, sad, frustrated. Uh, Occupied. Yeah. Preoccupied, I should say. Well, think of the right? Q. Think of the, yeah, think of the QAnon uh, bullshit, dude. Oh yeah, that 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 was a hundred percent the CIA owning a segment of the population, and I think they still are people out there owned by it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and I feel bad for those people. Really, they don't possess the 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 ability to consider. Maybe is is the word the 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 inner reflection, right? To to think about what they're being told and to test it against their daily experience. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been carpooling to work and I'm riding to work with a guy who's kind of a right winger and we have these conversations and, um, he is just convinced that without the government society would devolve into chaos. And I, I continually challenge him as soon as I challenge him and say, well, how does that comport with your daily experience? Do you, need to walk around with a gun on your side. <laughs> and that's the end of the conversation pretty much every time because he can't go there. He just can't. It would require him to um, probably 
collapse his entire paradigm, which I don't want to do. He's a nice guy. He's really, he's a really, really good person. Um, and so we, that pretty much ends the conversation and, and we talk about other things, but, um, yeah, I, I, I feel bad. Uh, it is hard to shed your paradigm, right? Last stop, last stop to anarchism is Libertarianville, but there's a reason why a lot of pe- people don't leave Libertarianville because, well, um, they've been, they've been propagandized that, you know, all anarchists are just bombers. <laughs> and more yeah. importantly, it's really difficult to shed that paradigm. Well, it is, but I mean, you've you've worked around, you know, project managers and project management, right? Yeah. And you understand that you can say many things about good project management, but one of the features of really great project management is that whatever you do, you do to completion and you leave in such a way that you don't have to hang around. You don't have to be there for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years. You teach people how to fish and then you go away. Right. You know, the thing is, people have a view of government that that's what they're doing, that they're just helping people and then they go on to something else. But in reality, what they're doing is engineering greater machines to create worse problems. What they're doing is creating a problem machine. And at first, this is why I think people think small government's okay, because small government, like a tiny bully, is ineffectual. But it's still a waste of money. And even the ideal government, like the perfect project manager, is a training wheel, isn't it? Like, do you really need someone to tell you not to rape people, Mike? No. No, it's sort of like the people who appeal to the Nuremberg Code that they can't be forced to take a vaccine. I think, you know, you're fighting on the wrong territory. I mean... Do you also believe that it's wrong to murder because it's on the government's books as, a, as against their law? I mean, no, you don't. You don't. You don't need a law to to not to not be a, a raping, murdering, coercive, uh, stealing, robbing, pillaging, plundering thug, right? No, you don't. You just need principles that you follow. And, and you need to be in touch with your conscience and your, your human right. side and that's right. be subject to normal uh, uh, incentives. Which we are not in this weird Twilight Zone society. Our incentives are all sideways. Right. Um, yeah. People who have political skills, which tend towards the sociopathic spectrum, are the ones who get ahead in business in big corporations, in government, of course, and within any sort of structured, formal organization that relies on coercion, um, the political skills are what what get people ahead, and it's really unfortunate. It is. So, do you have a little bit more time? Yeah. Okay. So you you were you sent me some links and some subjects related to the Chinese real estate market um, in China. Yeah. And I just need to say this again. I've said this. Probably said it earlier in this podcast. I said it in other podcasts, but I just want to say it again. I think, and this is just intuition based upon all the weird news, but my Sovietological uh, spine, uh, spidey sense is telling me that we could be looking at a civil war in China. 
And let me explain this. Back in 2014, 2015, 2016, there were all these weird stories about explosions in China, factories blowing up, this and that, and the other thing. And at the time, there was a story going around about rods of God and how it could be the U.S., blah, blah, blah. But when I look at the last 10 years, and again, I don't think there's any incentive for our, for our system, for our media to tell us the truth about this. But when I look at the last 10 years and I look at what, what information we're getting from China, the COVID doesn't make sense, but civil war does. Yeah. And so the real estate thing, I mean, I don't know how you have a real estate market if people are starting to like form brigades and shoot at each other. And I don't think we're being told the truth, truth about what's going on there right now. I don't have any third party I can trust who says, oh, I know for sure what's going on. All I have is the news media telling me there are these random things. Like today I heard another random story how a particular shortwave radio is not available in the country to quote because it was lost at sea. And listen, if you're Lloyds of London in 1885, Mike... Lost at sea is a great fucking excuse for those ICOM radios not to be available. But it's 2022 Bob Limcock, and lost at sea doesn't make a lot of fucking sense. All of these weird logistics. You and I have talked about it. It's like the container ship thing. And I know we're going off the real estate thing for a bit, and we'll talk about you know, ghost cities. But listen, we've talked about this. And we talked about all the container issues. They can't get containers off ships. None of that ever made any sense to me. And I've worked around ports, and I've worked around port operations, and none of that made sense to me, that they could not unload the containers. I can tell you that the, this particular aerospace company I work for can have a container, and now granted we're close to the port, but we can have a container on site same day that it arrived. Yeah, that's that. And guess what? For all the years they talked about how awesome globalism is, that's what they told us. They said that's how it works, didn't they? For all those years, starting the '90s, oh, don't be afraid of globalism. Blah 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 blah. They said, but you'll get your crap on time, didn't they, Mike? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, in 2020 and 2021, and looks like 2022, Bo Blimtock, none of that works. Me personally, yeah, I think that China's falling apart and they're trying to cover it up. And listen, yeah. China falling apart among all the other swords of Damocles, plural, that are hanging over the planet right now, China going into civil war would be bad, especially for certain yeah. financial interests. Don't you agree? It would be it would be bad for those financial interests. Um, and, of course... It would be a very dangerous crocodile, to use your analogy of the government. Well, I was talking to a dude a few weeks ago uh, about derivatives, and he's somebody that's worked in derivatives. And he told me that mathematically, logically, credit default swaps are perfectly safe, derivatives are perfectly safe. The problem <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah. The problem, though, is... What happens in a nuclear war? I know, I know that's an extreme example, but clearly credit default swaps don't help, help you in a nuclear war. But on a lesser level, what happens if you have a credit default swap relationship with a Chinese company and they're currently, you know, basically being wiped out by some rogue warlord? I mean, 
I don't think any of these financial instruments can remotely deal with China falling apart. I don't. It's one thing to have no. Greece. Listen, it's one thing to have Greece, the, the country of Greece, in a financial austerity stranglehold for 10 years because it's fucking Greece. Right. But we're not talking about Greece and a few billion bucks here and there. You know, we're talking about China and trillions, if not quadrillions of dollars in capital. Well, yeah, I mean, most of it's just gone into a sinkhole. It, well, like, let's I mean, talk about China that, goes, you know? Yeah. So, well, on the credit default swap, I think that I read somewhere, and I could be, correct me, if, I mean, forgive me if I'm wrong on the exact number, but it's something like five or six trillion dollars. Of credit default swaps alone based on global, essentially, junk bonds. So that that's just in, in dollar-denominated debt. Yeah. That's just what they know about, and that's their best estimate because those, those credit default swaps are private contracts. They're opaque. They're not an actual registered security. So um, not that I care about that, but that's an estimate. That's a lot, man. I, I, I heard an estimate once that worldwide, for the whole planet Earth, if you took all the derivative products to include credit default swaps, all the insurance contracts, all the weird agreements, and you put them in a pile for the whole globe, it was between $1,000 trillion and $4,000 trillion. And that was an estimate from almost 10 years ago. Yeah. I, I, who knows how big those numbers are? This is stuff... One of the things people don't understand is that even though the Austrians are technically correct, the printing of money is inflation. That's technically correct. But that doesn't mean that every money that gets printed immediately goes into the pocket of somebody to go buy some food. A lot of the money they printed in the last 10 years has been phony economics. It's come out of one central bank and gone into another sinkhole, and nobody got a job from it. No businesses right. were started. It was simply, in, in a lot of ways, it was simply a ledger, a ledger entry uh, right. on a global scale. But in terms of there being stimulus, there really was no stimulus. For all that money that was printed uh, between 2008 and really up until today, right. what, what did it do? It went to stock buybacks. How does that create anything at all? How does a stock no. buyback add to anything? It's a psyop to pro keep the keep the stock market propped up and keep boomers uh, dipping into their four hundred one k. Exactly. And, well, you got to keep them in. You have to keep them right? in the fence line. Right. You have to keep them in the fence line, especially the boomers. Yep. If you ask yeah, me, those those people would would liquidate their four hundred one k's and go into gold and silver in a heartbeat. I gotta say, Many dude. Yeah, and that would crash the system. That would crash the system immediately. It would just to go into gold and silver alone with with whatever's there in the four hundred one k's. It would. Yeah. It would if people simply decided to just disconnect in any way, but to include moving to gold and silver, the system would crash. Um, let's talk about. I bet you, Dan. What? I bet you. If, I bet you if they went into silver alone with that money. Oh yeah, that dude. Would do it because it's, okay. silver is completely and totally out of whack. Mike, you, it's Mike, fifteen to one. Mike, I've said this <laughs> and I'll say it again. If you want me to explain crypto very briefly, crypto was a manipulation to make sure that silver never spiked. Like there, there was a chance back in 2010, 2011, 
that silver would spike and reach a normal level. And then all of a sudden you have the Satoshi paper and Bitcoin and all this (laughs) other crap. And then you have, you know, Max Kaiser was actually talking about crippling the system with silver. And then the very next week it's Dogecoin, it's, you know, Ethereum, it's Bitcoin. And it's like, what the hell happened? Yeah. You know, when you think it was weird, dude, crypto is a black hole. I call it a furnace. It's a furnace. A lot of resources have gone into crypto. And when the day comes that people want to pull that out, when it actually matters, they're not going to get anything. It's a furnace. There is nothing there. Yeah. They just don't know it yet. I think that it could be the final rotation, but dude... I think they're trying to game the system in such a way that they don't want things to fail incrementally. That's not good for them because it gives people a chance to think about stuff. It's like the boomers. If, if they allowed the system to fail in an incremental way, the boomers might wake up and say, what the fuck's going on? No, I think they're trying to keep all the plates spinning. And I'm not saying they're doing a great job. I'm just saying that's probably the plan. And then the question is, then what? You see, this is what I keep yeah. coming back to. Then what? Yeah, day zero. I, dude, I don't know because they must believe. If, if this is just collapse, they must believe they're protected. But that's delusion. If this is collapse, is. they're not protected. Yeah, that, that cadre of competing elites that kind of, uh, you know, loosely vie for... The, the pieces of the pie that they have and, and so forth, um, they're subject to the same sort of collective mass uh, hypnosis or ma- mass psychosis that we are as well. It's oh, just yeah. a different it's a different type of, of information that they, they receive, and so it's going to be a different type of uh, psychosis. Dude, that's what I thought the reset was mainly about. I didn't think the reset was mostly about targeting the hoi polloi. I thought the reset was for the mayors and the governors and the senators and the generals and all those middle-level people that enable the authoritarianism to work. They need to believe there's an escape hatch. They need to believe there's going to be a condo for them someplace magical. The reset, in my view, was designed for those people exactly in line with what you said. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. But even further up up the chain from that, they could also be subject to the same delusions that that we are. They could be. I just don't think... uh, The truth is we can't know. You know, when I... When I... I I, I think I mentioned this to you before, but back in 2008, I gave a lecture at the HIMSS conference and I was talking about detecting fraud in insurance billing. And a person said, well, how do you know it's fraud and how do you know it's human error? And I said, in truth, you can't really know for sure. You can't. You can't know if it's on purpose for sure, and you can't know that it's uh, you know, an accident for sure, because a lot of fraud and a lot of human error can look alike. But that, all that really tells you is that Hanlon's razor is Doritos for the brain, and it doesn't tell you anything. The fact is, unless you're inside somebody's brain, you really can't know what subjectively, uh, what subjectively drove their decision-making. Isn't that a fair statement? Yeah. And uh, to your point about financial fraud, you know, we, we can know we can know financial transactions in a in a given market 
will have certain numbers appear at the end of, of multiplication and division more often than others. And so you can definitely see if a ledger has more or less natural numbers and all that can do is lead you to the person that put them there and to put the pressure on to do the investigation and maybe yield a confession. That That's really what it's about. Well, I think, I think it's true. You know, you can say I have a model of a, a health insurance company and according to this model, procedure code, whatever, I'm going to make these up, G9772 and, you know, 91167, these are made up. According to this model, these codes are denied at a, at a rate that is so far ab- above what would be considered the normal rate that they are indicative of a pattern. And you can do that. And if they happen to be related to high-cost procedures, well, then there you go. But the fact is, unless you investigate, as you pointed out, you can't know for sure. It's still a black right. box. You're still diagnosing something that is a black box. Right. And if the perpetrator of that fraud never personally benefited that you can prove and never talked to another person and refuses to talk to you, then you'll never know. No. I mean, <laughs> those are really the only ways, right? You can find some evidence that, hey, where did this, you know, where did this $30,000 trip come from? Uh, we see you at the casino all the time. Uh, well, let's talk about evidence of fraud. Yeah. $50,000 cars, right, right, right? That kind of stuff. But, well, let's, let's talk about uh, evidence of fraud or at least evidence of, of structural incompetence. The ghost cities in China. Yeah. <laughs> and for your uh, listeners, ChinaGhostCities.com is the website proclaims is eye candy for pessimists. Um, it's, it's really great. I went, it's awesome. The pictures were awesome. And I've, I've known about ghost cities for almost 15 years. This is not a new phenomenon. This has been no, going no, on it's not. for a long, long time. Uh, yeah. in, in the period of time we think of as the tiger period of the Chinese dragon economy, and let's, let's say the start of that is normalization with China in the 70s, for that period of time, at least half that period, there have been these kinds of shenanigans. Well, it, it, I wouldn't call them shenanigans as much as I would call them just simply the, the consequence of the relationship, the, the sort of weird, mutual, mutually parasitical relationship that's going on between the United States uh, people, economy, and the uh, oligarchy or kleptocracy, or whatever you want to call it, of, of uh, China. It's just a very weird, um, almost uh, unbelievable phenomena. It's, it's really hard. It's like uh, pyramids of Egypt, <laughs> in a way, right? Well, like, but, but the how, pyramids, how dude, happen? okay, i got to pause you right there. The pyramids are still standing after thousands and thousands of years. I look at a lot of this garbage being built in China. I don't think it's going to last 3,000 years. I, I just don't right, but see my it. My point about the pyramids is what sort of collective um, mentality built those things? Oh, it was, it was crazy. But at least, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will give this. It was crazy that it was built to last. I mean, I'll give it that, you know. <laughs> Uh, what I see, okay, and this isn't just, I'm not just going to beat up on China. I was reading about articles 
about automotive companies in the UK specifically back around 2014, 2015 that were producing cars and then shipping them almost immediately to be chopped up. Well, yeah. what's, what is the purpose of that? Well, what happens there, Dan, is that they're still using the old uh, automotive industry accounting tricks, which is that they they use the they use a metric internally in their accounting, which says that the overall utilization of our assets is what determines the profit. And so when you can get enough, when you can pump enough shit through your system to get your unit costs down sufficiently to where you will theory, theoretically turn a profit, then you've made money. Well, that of course leaves out the whole idea that there's a customer on the other end that's willing to buy your garbage. Well, but, but you see, this is where the Keynes, this is where Keynesian reasoning and and rational behavior bump heads, because I believe, and I could be crazy, that a free society is going to produce a lot of deflation. All things being equal, if people are allowed to be free, if they're allowed to have a functioning free market, you're not going to have inflation. Over time, you're going to have deflation, and deflation is good for everybody. Correct me if yeah. I'm wrong. Right. Well, you're describing the uh, monetary phenomenon that is the other side of the equation of what's called productivity. So in, in a free society, you're going to have capital investment and you're going to have the, the savings rate and interest rates matched up with consumer preferences. And so when people embark on projects – they're gonna. The net present value is gonna correlate with the real savings rate, and therefore the real interest rate, which is the cost of money, and and people's real willingness to invest. And so, the more savings, the more the lower the time preference is for people to use their money right now. And then there's a longer term for people to invest in capital projects that will come to fruition and then at the end of that whole long cycle there will be demand for those products because people have the savings to, to, to buy them. And so when you have artificial interest rates, you have a mismatch between the net present value of projects and people's real demand for the output of those projects. And that's why you end up chopping up cars you just built and building ghost cities, dude. <laughs> Amen to that. You know, amen to that. One of the things they point out in there is that um, if you just look over like uh, replica cities, empty towers, new cities, mega cities, they talk about how, well, they built this city for a uh, university. And fortunately for the people who built the city, the government was able to dictate that the entire university move there. <laughs> Whereas a lot of other places, they, the farmers out there in the rice paddies next to this empty city go, no, thanks. By the way, I'll stay in my rice paddy. You commies can, you know, do your own thing over there, you crazy idiots. Well, I kind of think if I'm right about this, and, and I kind of hope I'm wrong because I don't want anybody to have to experience any kind of war, but the kind of crooked information we're getting from China and the crooked logistical stuff leads me to believe they're trying to hide something in China. And I don't think it's the monkey herpes. So sorry to all the people that need to believe in invisible little critters that might be killing them. I don't think it's the monkey herpes. I think I think it's civil war is what they're trying to cover up. I think so. And I think there's also 
I suspect there's some kind of a weird central bank war going on too. And let, let me, you want to hear my theory? Yeah. Okay. So why, okay. One of the things about this whole real estate bubble is the amount of debt that's been sold in, uh, denominated in dollars. Okay. So why would you, okay. Let's say you're an American company. Um, if you've ever done any investing in foreign markets, you know that there's a real risk uh, in, in currency and the exchange rate between the currency of the company you're invested in and the currency of you, that you use to buy your goods and services and that you're paid your wage in and that you get your investment returns in. And so if the currency of this other country increases in purchasing power, in other words, uh, goes up in value relative to the, your own currency, then um, if you have a debt instrument, then it's going to be easier for them to pay back. Or for me, if I borrowed money in, say, euros, and euros go up in value relative to the dollar, then it's going to be more difficult. I need more dollars now to pay back that denominated asset um, or the debit. That, that is in, in my name. So it's interesting that a lot of these companies that are operating in a centrally planned communist regime at the complete and total pleasure of the communist party are buying a lot of debt in dollars. And that means they must have believed that the dollar was going to depreciate and that it would be easier to pay back, that this was sort of a hedge for them against the absolute pyramid scheme that that they were running where they were taking people's money and never finishing projects and moving on to something that wasn't even completed and selling more right and they were they were artificially valuing they you know they would sell these things in tranches say well here this is a dollar per square foot for initial and then they would sell a a tranche of this development and then they'd say well now the price has gone up to two and you don't want to miss out and then they create this artificial demand um you know, just basically snake oil, snake oil sales. Uh, and I, I found that fact that to be really, really interesting because that means the regime's aware of it and they were nodding on it. So a crazy theory could be that this whole coronavirus thing was a psyop from perpetrated by the Chinese government on us. It's all fake, whatever it is. I mean, there might be, people are getting sick from something. People I, are getting sick from something all the fucking time, Mike. We live in a really toxic fucking world. I don't know that it's much above normal. It could just simply be radiation or increased cancer or a bad flu season or I, I don't know. No, I have a simple explanation. When you mind fuck for people for two years, you drive them to suicide, overdose, untreated heart disease, untreated cancer, untreated diabetes. Uh, how about, yeah, domestic violence? I can keep going. Yeah, that's what happens. That's all true. So, uh, and perhaps this was an, they knew that the Americans would shut down their economy because they they developed this idiotic plan during the Bush years about how they were going to instead of instead of quarantining the vulnerable, we'll quarantine the whole society. Yeah, now, that's a good idea. I mean, basically, you're saying the Chinese are behind the psyop, is what you're saying. But they started it in in order to uh, defeat the dollar. Yeah, I think. 
And, I, and if they're close know. to a civil war, Dan, that makes some sense, actually. Well, no, I think the Chinese are on board with the PSYOP. I just don't think it's... I, I think our own government was well aware of it, too. And I don't think it was, like, something that was used against us. Listen, every government on planet Earth right now is in jeopardy. Every single one. Not just yeah. the United States government, not just the Chinese government. Some governments will topple first. But we are living at the peak, best case scenario, the peak of complexity and stupidity. And their only solutions is pile on more complexity and more stupidity. There's not one government that's not at risk because of this. So the, the, the COVID monkey herpes looks a lot like what was done to Greece, except for they did it to everybody. Right. And I'm not trying to beat up your theory. It's just no, but I, I think there is some sort of weird banker war going on, and that plays into you know the the weird supply chain stuff that we're experiencing, which doesn't make any sense because I, people are going to work in China. They're, they're, I mean, chip factories are are running. <laughs> I don't know what's running and what's not running. Like I said, a bunch of shortwave radios that are very popular were lost at sea along with Jonathan Swift. So I, I don't know what's the truth, dude. I really don't. All I can tell you is I'm of the opinion that these crooked people will keep the grift going up until the point they can't, and there, will be not, there won't be a lot of signaling. Like people who are waiting for a giant crash, I mean, I guess there'll be one, but it won't be the thing that begins. It'll be the thing that ends. It'll be a bang or, or just a seizing up or the simple cessation of things working. But I don't think people are going to get any warning, Mike. I really don't. Um, well, we have it. Well, okay, we have it right now if you have discernment, yeah. if you can see through the veil of all the lies. That's true. But for the right. people that are still buying into the nonsense in January of 2022, I, it's kind of hopeless for them. They're not going to see it coming because it will hit them like a brick in the head. It, it'll be that yeah. shocking for them. I don't know. I agree. And I mean, again, I, I'm not saying you're wrong about the Chinese. I think the Chinese government, Who knows? I think the European Union, I think the United States government and most of the governments on planet Earth right now, they're all participating in a relatively effective way in mind fucking everybody. So it, it looks like a, a lot of coordination, you know? Yeah, it's hard for me to believe that. Well, the thing is, though, it's hard for me to believe any of the crap I'm hearing from China. Any right. of it. And it's really of hard course. to believe the logistical failure stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I don't buy any of that. I don't believe these governments are legitimate in any functional enlightenment sense. So it's not hard for me to believe that the grifters of the planet Earth will grift together. Why wouldn't they? It seems like a perfectly criminal thing to do. Yeah. You know? <sighs> I mean, it, it, you know, I don't really, and, and honestly, I don't give a fuck. Because whether they're working together or not, the result is the same. People are being lied to. And, yeah. you know. I don't yeah. know how you make a lie like this work unless you have a lot of coordination. I think that's where I'm coming from. 
you have to have a fair amount. It just can't be the United States. It kind of has to be a lot of places where people have quote-unquote access to information. You'd have to flood a lot of places with garbage. You know, it's a lot like 9-11 or the assassination of JFK. And or also that Bernays quote, it has to be immersive. It has to be every segment of society. You have to pull out those figureheads, those old mandarins, the people, quote-unquote, that they respect. It has to be multi-layered. It can't just be one place. They kind of have to convince you it's everywhere. Yeah. And the great thing about the monkey herpes is it's invisible for all intents and purposes. So right. how hard is it to convince people that it's everywhere? Well, you know? historically, it has been hard. But it's, for some weird reason... This time, it wasn't. Well, I mean, I think there could be lots of reasons, and I know that we're running late on time, but, you know, one explanation would be the effect of education on a population over the last, you know, 40, 50 years, that I think that we have multiple generations that don't know how to reason in any way that we would remotely recognize from the past, including my generation, um, Right. So, so really the population is ready for it. The other thing is, and this is what I suspect, and I suspected this before the monkey herpes happened. I suspected this going back to 2015. Any magic trick, any grift, any con requires two people. The person doing the grift and the person being grifted. And if the person being grifted isn't on some level participating, the grift, the magic trick, the illusion will fail. You follow yeah, me? I do. Okay, you have to kind of participate in it. You can't just say, well, magicians are super powerful. They're not. They're not witches. They're trying to trick you. But as someone being tricked, if you're willing to see through it, eh, it's hard to trick you. Back in 2015, I saw indications that a lot of people's, whatever you want to call it, their third eye, their, their spooky radar, I had indications that a lot of people's spooky radar was going off. And it kind of made me wonder what's going on. Listen, if your spooky radar tells you that what's coming is way worse than any of the crap that they're telling you formally, why wouldn't you settle on the monkey herpes or the race war? Why wouldn't you put on three or four masks? It, you know, that's bad and stupid, but it's way worse to starve to death, isn't it, Mike? It is. And, and the thing is, if people even remotely allowed their intuition along with their logic to lead them to the truth, it might lead them away from the race war and the hypersonic missiles and the debt crisis and the stagflation and the monkey herpes. It might lead them actually to the truth, which I still don't know what the truth is. I just know that, that they're lying to us. I don't know why. I, you know, Like I said, at this point, and this is how I would close my perspective for this podcast, at this point, it's definitely the collapse of an empire. That's, that's already baked into the cake. And the only question is, is it anything worse? Because they're acting like, they're all acting like this, at least apparently according to the news, like there will be no consequences. And that's weird to me, dude. It's strange. It leads me to believe that they know there's going to come a day where there will be no consequences. Right. Where basically, uh, we'll be so busy trying to survive we're not going to give a fuck about Hillary Clinton or George Soros or Bill Gates. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the, I, I can 
maybe this is a good place to close out, but I can I can feed you with a fact, the financial fact that it, it supports your case maybe better than anything else in terms of the, uh, for those who are disinclined to believe what they see around them. The in the end of 2020, the United States government uh, does an accounting of their uh, liabilities regarding Medicare and uh, Social Security. And Congress some years ago required them to uh, project out what the net present value is based on current funding and reserves and benefits uh, over the next 75 years. So they do this every year. And the net present value of the of the system as of the end of 2020 was negative $65 trillion. Yeah. So that means that at current levels of, of taxation and current levels of benefits based on current mortality rates and the number of people that are going to receive benefits and so forth, that in order to fund it, and make it solvent, that's not not increasing taxes or anything else, just putting a lump sum in today at current interest rates, $65 trillion. And so the thought to me is there's no possible way that can be made solvent. None. You can't, I mean, there's no, it cannot be done. <laughs> it absolutely can't be done. And if you combine that with the fact that very soon the, uh, interest rates, the interest payments are going to start overtaking the debt over the next 10 years. The interest payments going to swallow up the entire federal budget. Uh, these people believe something that, that they're not telling us. They're, they're, they believe that we're going to be America 2.0, uh, Globe 2.0, Globe 0.0, I don't know. Except but. the problem is, if you were going to head there, you would have done pyramids on Mars as a psyop in 2020. You wouldn't have done the Grumpus and the race war. You wouldn't have done that. I mean, I hear what you're saying, I, dude. But I'm just saying that it that it, it, it further uh, bolsters your, your point, which is whatever it is, whatever these people think, they believe there will be absolutely no consequences that They've made promises that they can't keep. Yeah, Pro- promises that will will mean life and death to people at, at some point in the future. Well, I, I think it's going to be soon. We're I, counting on that money. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be that far in the future. I don't think any of these things are linear. I think people it have can't been, be. people have been lulled into believing that somehow we're owed graceful degradation by nature, and we're not. Okay, these things right. often often degrade in extraordinarily ungraceful ways. Right. At the end of 2019, that figure was 59 billion. So it's going up exponentially. 59 trillion, sorry. So, yeah, it's not linear, that's for sure. It's on an exponential curve uh, towards the crash. And that's there's, if there's you, no and doubt that's, about that. And that's if you believe their numbers. And again, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but it, you know, it's one of those things. Do you believe their numbers? Do you think it's better or worse? My view of government numbers if the number is supposed to be low, they will make it as low as they can, so you probably should raise it. If the number is supposed to be high, they'll make it as high right. as they can, so you should probably take a discount. Um, yeah. I, I've heard, I'm listen, just saying that, that number is staggering to their own terms, okay? Yeah. I mean, to some people, to me, it's kind of like, okay, 
I was researching something called the Clathrate gun a few years ago, and I don't want to talk about it. But one of the, right. the economists came out with an article saying that the cost of the Clathrate event would be seventy trillion dollars, and I was thinking to myself, how <laughs> fucking crazy is that shit? People would be people's lives would be turned upside down if the Clathrate gun were real, okay? And nobody's going to give a shit about dollars at that point. Nobody. Right. There won't be dollars. They'll be the no, living in the dead. Fire, fire, you know, kin, you know, ways of starting fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dan. It's been great. I think that's a good place to. Uh, well, I, to wrap I it took. Up. I, you know what? I I think I I think I, it took a long time, and I appreciate your time, Mike. Perhaps in a few weeks and maybe a month, we can we can have you on again to talk about something because I really enjoy it, and I think the listeners really enjoy it. Um, well, thank you. I, I enjoy it as well. It's it's always great to talk with you. And thank you for taking the time and putting the podcast together and all the work and and everything else that you do. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate your help and support. You know, I don't. The listeners may not know this, but you're a very generous supporter on many levels, and I I appreciate that. So well. Your podcast uh, really helped me get through 2020, so it's, it's a two-way street. Well, now you can get through 2022 <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah, right? 2021, too. Yeah, I don't even know what to think about this. <laughs> Anyways, do you want to say anything else before you go? Nope. Uh, nothing else but keep your family close. Um, call your friends. Keep in touch with them. Uh, get out and try to know your neighbors as best as possible. Uh, if you have a dog, go walk it in the neighborhood and say hi to people because you're going to need to know those people at some point in the future. You will. You're going to need you're, to know. They're going to become yeah. your village and your tribe, whether you like it or not. And you're going to need to know those people more than you need the people on Twitter or Facebook. That's right. You know. Well, anywho, anywho, Mike, I really appreciate your time. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your evening. Uh, Thank you. And we will talk again soon. Thank you, Dan. Bye.